can start. All right, can you hear me now? Okay, good start. Let's open up our Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 16. Believe it or not, we will finish this book, um, but not today. Uh, <laughs> we're going to cover just uh, 17 through 20 and just give you a little bit of a pathway forward. Next two weeks, I'll be out of the pulpit. Um, I'll be uh, in Denver, uh, Colorado. Some of our other members will be here there as well. I'll be presenting at an academic conference nerd thing. Um, and so uh, I'll kind of schedule that time and usually have myself out of the pulpit. But then I'll come back that Sunday after Thanksgiving and we'll, we'll conclude Romans. I think Kirby said maybe we'll have two more sermons. We will have two more sermons. So with that being said, and let's, uh, let's read our text for this morning from Romans chapter 16. Paul writes to the church in Rome, an extension to us, and says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, if we were to think of topics least likely to be preached in the church, I think the topic of false teachers would be high on the list. Uh, just think about it for a moment. When's the last time you heard a, a sermon uh, or maybe even a Sunday school lesson on false teaching. Now, some of you are giving me a smirk because I know you're in First and Second Peter and Jude class, and, and you did today. I think you went through Jude. So uh, I promise I'm not going to rehearse Jude for you. Uh, but besides that small segment of a group, most of us may not be able to remember a time that you've heard a sermon on false teachers, false prophets. Um, but what's interesting to think about is that the scriptures do talk about it, do talk about false teaching. That is because there is a, a tendency amongst us uh, to be naive as to its real threat. I, I particularly think what would be most common in our circles is, is, uh, is that it's not really that big of a deal. False teaching is really just a concern for those weirdo fringe groups, those doomsday apocalyptic groups that are building bunkers somewhere, and they've got some guy like David Koresh who tells them that he's the Messiah. And most of us aren't going to be lured away to such things. And so we think, well, I'm not going to join David Koresh or drink the Kool-Aid with Jim Jones, so I don't really have anything to worry about. Or maybe you, you might not think of those extreme examples in our nation's history. You might think merely, well, false teaching is limited to, say, the Mormon church or Jehovah's Witnesses. And so the rationale is, as long as you aren't getting involved with the well-known cults or, or, uh, or stockpiling with a doomsday cult, uh, you have nothing to worry about. And I think that's where many people within our evangelical churches are today. 
there's really no threat out there of false teaching. As long as you just kind of stay within the main and normal people, you'll be okay. Well, when we consider the New Testament, the threat of false teaching is explicitly warned in all but maybe four books. And I say maybe because um, I'm not sure. But uh, as I was counting and looking, I I think four books, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philemon, and 1 Peter, uh, don't explicitly address it. But but all the rest of the books do. In fact, six of our uh, New Testament books, Galatians, Hebrews, 1 and 2 John, 2 Peter and Jude, are all devoted to addressing false teaching. And so if we have books devoted to it, and, and nearly all the New Testament addresses it, well, we should at least address it. It shouldn't maybe dominate our time, but it should come up. It should be something that we are aware of. And, and even thinking of the words of Jesus, who, who gives some of the most detailed warnings about false teachers and false prophets who will rise up and deceive many. And the reason we need to talk about it is because there is deception. And if we're not talking about we're not aware, then we are prime candidates for being deceived. So while it isn't something that dominates every page of the New Testament, it is a consistent theme that is warned against. It is a threat for all Christians of all ages, and we aren't excluded. So this is why Paul writes briefly. I mean, we only have four verses here where Paul addresses false teaching to the church in Rome. It, and, and likelihood is it, is it wasn't a, a major threat at the present time. Doesn't mean there won't be a threat, but it wasn't a pressing issue in, in the life of that church. But it does appear that, that it was a looming threat that could come, and, and Paul's quite confident will in some point show up on their doorstep. And I think this is why Paul says in verse 19, your obedience is known to all. So that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. And it seems that Paul is saying, your obedience, your reputation is well known to all. He mentions that several times in the letter. And the idea that I think he's getting after is things are going well at the church in Rome. So be on guard. The evil one is not going to be idle. If we all have heard about it, you can rest assured the evil one has heard about you. And he is going to try to put an obstacle in your path. So he calls them, be wise to what is good, innocent to what is evil. And when he says that, he's probably borrowing from from Jesus's words, who, when Jesus said something very similar in Matthew 10, 16, he, he tells the disciples as he's sending them out, he says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. What an what a interesting picture. Be wise as serpents, be wise as snakes. What be innocent as doves? And In other words, Jesus, and and coupled here with Paul, is calling us not to be naive, but to be crafty like a snake. Not helpless and gullible, but cunning and alert. Alert to the schemes of the evil one. Yet at the same time, there should be a purity amongst us. We we should be as innocent and harmless as a dove. We're we're not like the serpent. But yet we must be uh, aware of his cunning schemes. 
And so we can't just put our head in the sand and say, all is well. Don't have to worry about that. No one's stockpiling weapons, to my knowledge, in this church uh, for a doomsday revolt. If, we, if you are, please come talk to me and, and the pastors, and, and we can hopefully correct some of your thinking about the kingdom of God. Um, but what does this look like practically for us? What does it look like to be on guard? What does it look like to be aware, to be on the lookout for the looming threat of false teaching? Well, I think in our text, it, it looks like knowing what to flee from and knowing what to follow after. It looks like discernment, discernment. And I think one of the tendencies, uh, and, and we're, our church is no uh, exception, is a tendency just assume as long as it has Christian on the label, it's okay. It doesn't matter. We assume, and that's probably a good characteristic. We don't want to go to the other extreme. But we assume there's never a threat. And so maybe we receive things that we shouldn't receive. Now, we don't want to be overly critical, calling everything false teaching when it's not. We don't want to be overly critical, uh, assuming the worst of everyone who comes uh, upon our way. But we need to find some balance, some happy medium. And I think that's what our text will do for us this morning. We're going to learn what it looks like to flee and avoid false teaching. And in order to avoid something, we need to know what it is. And so here in these verses, we're called to avoid, and, and here's my outline this morning, to avoid the defection of false teachers, the deception of false teachers, so that we can avoid the destruction of false teachers, okay? So we've got defection, deception, destruction. There's your alliteration this morning. Primary, there you go, Gary. The primary mark of false teachers is their defection from sound doctrine. That's the primary mark. And this is how we discern who they truly are. This is why Paul says, watch out for those who create divisions, verse 17, and obstacles contrary to what you have been taught. Now, when he's talking about divisions, he's not talking um, necessarily about maybe cliques or sects that kind of can come up in the church, maybe division over preferences, although it could creep into this. He, he's talking about something far more sinister. He's talking about those who lead groups of people astray from the doctrine that you have been taught. And the idea, better yet, is what you have learned. The gospel that you have learned and you have received and that he has brought you to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be watching out for those who are calling that doctrine, that teaching, what you have learned into question. You need to be on the alert. He says they cause obstacles, or that word's the same word that he uses elsewhere of Israel, stumbling block. Actually, Jude uses it. He says that Christ is able to keep you from stumbling. And the idea here is of stumbling, like running in a race, a, a boulder or, or, or a log that trips the runner up and they're disqualified from the race. He says, be on the watch out for those who are going to put obstacles. And how is that? It, it, it follows the scheme of our, uh, of, of our great foe, Satan. Even in the early stages of the garden, what does he say? Has God really said? And some of you, and I love you to death, you're 
automatically you have a, a skeptical brain. You're calling everything in, this skept, uh, 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 in a critical framework, and, and there's a sense you need to do that. But you need to be careful that you're not just entertaining the lies of the evil one. Constantly question, is that really what that God means? Is that really what we should be doing? Is that really, is that really, is that really? But never receiving yourself. Paul's warning us. Watch out for those who put obstacles before you who are going to lead you away, who cast doubt upon the orthodox theology and divide the church and lead people astray. Paul writes to the Ephesian elders in, in Acts chapter, uh, or I mean in, yeah, Acts chapter 20, and he even warns them, he says, there will become, the wolves will rise up among you. That's how Satan schemes usually work. It's not always something from the outside. It's usually something that comes up from the inside. He infiltrates, and we're going to see this. And, and one of the marks is through those who call into question the sound doctrine that you have learned. And so he's warning us to be on the lookout for those who would lead you to walk away from the gospel and the faith. And such doctrinal dangers, brothers and sisters, always really center on attacking the person or work of Christ. That's usually where this comes from. And, and really, all aberrations of bad theology stem from this. In the early church, uh, as heresies were rising up, as, as false teachers would come, one of the things that they, they characterized their teaching by twisting the scriptures is that the Christ they present is more like a fox. But the true teaching of the church will present the scriptures that highlight the true Christ and King. And so we need to keep that in mind. This is true, and, and I know we think of them as wackos, and in some sense they were. But those who claim to be Christ, those who claim to be Messiah, think of a David Koresh or Jim Jones who, who said that very thing and led people astray. I don't know if you ever watched any of those documentaries, how, how people will come from all over the world. And you hear them say, God, we heard that the Messiah is in Waco. And not just in Waco, he, they're on a, a compound out in the field. Listen to what Jesus says will happen in the latter days. For false Christ, Matthew 24, this is up on the screen. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he is, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. This happens today. There, there are cults all over the place that are promising you life. And it's always some inner room, inner secret. Come with us. We have found the truth. And in fact, I've heard from some of you walking in the mall, there, there are people who come up to you now and they say, hey, we want to, we want to share with you the truth. We've been enlightened. And, and they want to take you into their group. That's here at, at the Green Tree Mall. More reason not to go to that place. There are false teachers roaming about. This often happens and occurs in third world countries today. 
because there's just a, a prime area to go and deceive people. False teaching is rampant in third world countries. And, and so as we hear, and rightfully so, all the good things that are happening, saying in Africa, it's kind of like Paul saying, your, your faith is being heard all around the world, but you know who's there? The false teachers prying and picking the sheep off. While much of the work that needs to be done is, is training the pastors there to be able to, be, to guard the, the sheep. Then there's false teachers who don't claim to be Christ, but they promote some aberrant theology of Christ, the, who deny either his true divinity or his true humanity. Most popular would be uh, the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses who are not Trinitarian in their understanding. I don't know if you noticed, but we sang songs. We even confess to the triune God. They don't just, they, they don't just misunderstand it. They purposefully deny that. There are other groups who do the same thing. Oneness Pentecostalism. Oneness is, is a form of their denial of the triune God. But even an aberrant group in our own city, the Branhamites. Now, I'm not saying this to beat them up because I have sweet neighbors who are under this group. But they deny the Trinity. You might not realize that. If you go to the official website, Branham.org, and you look up, what do we believe about the Trinity? They have an article that says the Trinity is a heresy that was invented in the, in the fourth century at the Council of Nicaea. Actually going after the, where, what we recited the Apostles' Creed last week, that's, that's, that's basically the Nicene Creed. We deny that and say from that point on, all of Christianity has been led astray into a false teaching. And then they quote Branham authoritatively, who says, Ever since then, Nicaea, people have failed to realize that there is just one God with three manifestations. Now, your alarm bell should be going off when you hear that. That's the ancient heresy of Sabellianism or modalism, as we more likely call it which says there's only one God who manifests himself in three ways or three modes, kind of like an actor. Uh, the same actor presents himself as the father and then moves out of that scene, then comes in, presents himself as the son, moves out of that scene, presents himself as the spirit. And they explicitly say that. He manifested himself as father in the Old Testament, in the times of Jesus, manifested him as the son, and now he wears the spirit hat. That is a heresy that's been condemned by the church from the third century. And they explicitly go after it and say, no, anyone who holds the, the true doctrine is a heretic. And the reason I bring that up to you, because we're gonna get into that, because many of you, your neighbors, your coworkers, they're under this delusion. And, and mainly, you know, I'm not speaking as for every person there, but the leaders know what they're doing. The leaders do, and they're leading many astray. and so. We need to be praying for them. We need to be seeking opportunities to share the gospel with them and being alert to what's going on. Because if you're skewing with fundamental doctrines, well, there's so much more that's going to be at stake when, you, when you, you branch out. Now, you might say, is that really a big deal? It really is. And I want to show you that the, even the apostles thought this was a big deal. Go to 1 John 1, or you can look up on the screen. First John is actually 
a book written to combat false teaching. Some have left the church. Some are, are trying to pick people off from the church. And here's the heresy that is going on. People are claiming that Jesus wasn't truly human, that he was just uh, 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 it was a facade. It was uh, that he's divine, but he's not human. So they're, they're squabbling over the person of Christ. And John begins his letter and he says, much like his gospel, that which was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus, which we have heard and we have seen with our eyes and we have looked upon and we have touched with our hands. Do you see what he's getting after? Jesus is human. I saw him. I touched him. He says, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. There's distinction right there, Father and Son. He goes on, and this is important. That which we have seen, Jesus, and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why? so that you too may have fellowship with us. So here's the key thing about true Christianity. We have fellowship with the apostolic witness. Why? Why does that matter? He goes on. And indeed our, the apostolic witness, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is saying to the church, probably in Ephesus area that Paul warned false teachers would arise, if you break off from fellowship of the true apostolic teaching, you have broken off your fellowship with the true and living God. I want you to know that from the early church, these were dividing lines. And if you do not have the Christ of Scripture, the Christ who is proclaimed by the apostles, then you do not have the Christ who offers eternal life. So I want you to see these, these aberrations. That's a reason why Satan goes after them. Because he seeks to destroy and if he can get you to believe in a false Christ, a false Messiah, well, then his work's done for him. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is why we need to know our theology. And I'm not beating up on any of you, but some of you, I read that quote from Branham, and, and you're like, I, I don't see the problem. And that's part of the problem. You need to be more aware. You need to know why that's, that's a problem. Another way in which false teachers defect from sound doctrine is undermining the work of Christ. So Satan goes after the person of Christ, but he also goes after the work of Christ, what Christ did on, particularly on the cross. And, and classic liberalism has denied basically the work of Christ on the cross. And this has infested much of the mainline denominations. And if you were to talk to, to pastors of the mainline denominations, right here in our circle, here in Jeffersonville, you would, you would find usually one of two things. Either a complete denial of Christ's substitutionary death on the cross for sinners because there's a denial of sin. There's nothing to be saving from. And usually it's presented that Christ's sacrifice is just an example of his great love and service to others. And, and there's some truth to that. He is the example. He is the exemplar uh, 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 for all of us to walk in sacrifice and, and, and lay down our life for our friends, but they strip it of its primary basis of atoning work for sinners. That there's no wrath of God being poured out on Christ, and, and it really gets convoluted. Then why to the cross at all? 
Or sometimes it's, it, it comes in the form of, uh, of universalism. And you go here, Christ died for sinners. I was at a funeral once where a mainline preacher was preaching in, out of 1 Corinthians 15 and, and saying some really true things, but then he said, no one's a sinner. He said that. He says, even though, and he's correcting Paul, basically, who said all in Adam die, he goes, well, we're not all sinners like Adam. And just undermined it. But they also say, yeah, Christ's death on the cross accomplished salvation for everyone, regardless if they believe or not. It's a form of universalism. And that's usually where the deception is, and it doesn't show up immediately. You have to listen. You have to hear. You have to know what they're saying and what they mean. And so, brothers and sisters, this is why we have doctrinal statements. This is why the Council of Nicaea occurred, the Apostles' Creed. Those are some of the earliest doctrinal statements. Why do doctrinal statements arise? Because false teaching comes in, and the church has to rally around and say, no, that's not the right understanding of the Scripture. That's not the apostolic tradition that's been handed down to us. And so we come up with doctrinal statements, which are summaries of right doctrine, which guide and protect us as we read the Scriptures. Our doctoral statement here of the church is the Baptist faith and message. Now, yes, it contains some secondary matters concerning Baptist distinctives that don't necessarily mean if you disagree with us that you're not within the faith, but it does contain the primary doctrines of, of who the, God the Father is, God the Son, God the Spirit, which is what all Christians of every era have believed, and it's very precise in its language to guard off from defective theology to guard the church. Next quarter, some of you would do well to take the, the beliefs class, which is basically we've got a curriculum that takes you through the doctrinal statement so that you may learn what I hope you believe. You may learn what we confess and, and just know that the doctrinal statement serves as a boundary for this church. This is, we do not go outside of those bounds because we don't want to go outside what we believe the scriptures to be true. And certainly we don't want to go out of the bounds of Christian orthodoxy. So being wise into what is good, Paul says, is understanding what rightly to follow after so that you can discern what not to. We need to have discernment. We need to be wise as serpents. What's he going to go after? He's going to go after key doctrines. And if you look at the, 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 the false teaching and that the, each book of the Bible is going after, particularly those six books, Galatians, what justification by faith alone, undermining the work of Christ. First John, undermining the person of Christ. Jude, undermining the person of Christ. Second Peter, twisting the scriptures, even Paul's writings to their own destruction. All these things are attacking the key doctrines. And that is your marker to say, that's a false teacher. That's a false prophet. Beware of them, avoid them. So we want to be wise to what is good and have discernment. So that means that not everything that says it's Christian necessarily is Christian. Even if it's sold at the Christian bookstore. Or you see faithful 
in some sense, good Christians you know, and that book's being passed around or being recommended on Facebook, or you hear people talking about this teacher or whatnot, and they say, oh, they're solid. That's usually my code language is you have no idea what you're talking about. Just because it's making its rounds doesn't mean that you, you can just turn off your discernment meter. Do you know what that person believes? And so this is why we need to avoid the deception of false teachers. It doesn't always appear, oh, we're denying the, the Trinity. It doesn't come as nicely as Branham made it. Doesn't always do that. And just so you know, they hide that type of stuff. It's hard to find it. It's not on the main page. You gotta search for it. Mormons do the same thing. Yeah, we're Christians. We believe in Jesus. They don't wanna tell you what their differences are because they used to believe that we would have enough discernment to be able to fish them out because we've been taught some semblance of Christology. Well, now the church has given that up and we are just, just waiting to be picked off. So we need to avoid deception. This is what Paul says in verse 18. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Now look, by their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Why does he have to remind us that they don't serve Christ? Because they come in the name of Christ. They say, oh no, we're Christians. We believe the Bible. Our interpretation of it. One of the key things also you can know about false teachers is their source of authority. He was enlightened, received a vision. As Jude says, they go by their dreams. He received a dream. It's interesting. There's a, uh, if you look at the stories of, say, David Koresh, Muhammad, even uh, William Branham, all of them received a, a vision from an angel who then told them, Joseph Smith, who then told them the right interpretation. The devil's schemes are not they're not, um, well, I guess they're consistent. They are consistent. But they come and they say, oh, no, this is Christ. Muhammad actually came in and said, this is Christ, and, the, and he was kicked out. So he, he switched. And so we're reminded that, that false teachers, they, they claim often the ones that are going to get you are going to be the ones who say, oh, this is Christianity. Let me tell you about my experience that's unique that no one can validate and tell you how I'm authoritative and I know everything. And some of you read those books thinking this is good. This is where the deception lies. This is why Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, no wonder Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. that's what he says. The threat in Corinth, and we'll look at this passage in just a minute, was that the there were people going around saying, we're apostles of Christ, Paul isn't. And that's always the name of the game. Oh, the church is wrong. We're right. Come with us. And that was happening in Corinth. And Paul calls them false apostles who disguise themselves as the real thing. And so as the passage that's up on your screen, see, uh, you see Paul says, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise that if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. That's usually what's going to happen. False prophets 
do not serve or worship Christ, but notice in verse 18, rather their own appetites, their own bellies, their own desires. So what do they do? They cloak their true motives through their smooth talk and flattery so that you do not realize who they truly are. As Peter reminds us, they'll even use the scripture. Say, yeah, we believe it, but it's twisted scripture, he says. They'll twist it. I mean, I've been evangelized by cults in this, in this town. And they've got their list of scriptures and, and, and their twisting and, 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 and obscure doctrines and all these things that's just almost like a, a cumulative effect to overwhelm you. So you say, well, maybe it is in the Bible and I just didn't know the truth. And lead you astray. And get this, brothers and sisters, they're often very nice people, aren't they? Very kind. And in some sense, I'm not convinced that every one of them realizes that they're promoting false doctrine. They're just deceived themselves. And they're sweet people, but this is what John says in the book of Revelation. Revelation's actually one of my favorite books and not for the reasons you think. Because it lifts the, the veil on what's really going on in the world. It's like a window to see the spiritual realm. And he speaks of false teachers this way. He says they... In, in, in chapter 13, 11, they appear like a lamb. But when they speak, they speak as a dragon. False teachers often look like a cuddly little lamb. Oh, my word, this person's so nice and sweet and kind. They're saying all the right things. They got the code words. I mean, come on, this is not a worker of Satan. look like a cuddly lamb, but if you listen to what they say, and if you are discerning, you can hear the echoes of their father, the father of lies. This is what Jesus says of them. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, so beware. They're not going to come in as a wolf. Hey, I had, I'm a wolf for Halloween. Just want everybody to know. No, that's not how it works. And they come in, they say, I'm one of you. And then they seek to lead people astray. And so if they're so smooth and cunning in their deception, how do we recognize them? If they're, if they're wolves, but in sheep's clothing, they're in disguise, they're, 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 they're looking like angels of light, how, how then are we to be discerning? How do we guard ourselves from them? Well, Jesus says it very bluntly. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. See where their bellies lead them. Watch their life. This is why Paul tells pastors, watch your life and your doctrine. Because you can, and this is where I think some of the threat is, they say, oh, we believe the orthodox teachings. But then watch their life. Where does it go? They deny it by their deeds. We've already looked at the first mark of the false teacher, their false doctrine, their defection, but there's two other characteristics that are built into their deception but reveal who they really are. And first is their love of money. They are lovers of money. They're greedy for selfish gain. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. This again is up on the screen. Peter writes, But false prophets also arose among the people 
just as there will be false teachers among you. Notice that among language. Now, we're not going on witch hunts or anything like that. Just being aware. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now, notice this. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Hey, sell all your possessions. Come with me. I have the truth. We're building a compound together. That's the extreme. But you know where it's happening every day is when you flip on TBN. And you watch the TV preachers and the radio preachers. Not all of them, but most of them. In particular, there's a movement called the Word of Faith movement. They're bestseller writers. Their books are all in Barnes & Noble. Some of them are sold in book, Christian bookstores. And this is what they say, name it and claim it. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and wants everything for you. And if you are in poverty or if you are suffering in any way, well, the reason is, is that you just haven't tapped into what God wants for you. And by the way, let me tell you, if you will exercise faith and just giving us a commitment and a donation and, and show your true faith by giving, maybe, uh, you know, signing a double mortgage and, and giving us uh, your house and, and things, we'll, we'll, you can be like us. And what do they do? They, they, they tell everybody, I need a, a you know, a, a jumbo jet plane for my stuff. You know, you know who they are. They're false teachers. They're greedy. Their whole ministry is, is living in luxury and extravagance. And they're always asking the people to give. But you know what? They're never sacrificing their goods for the kingdom. As Paul says, the people under their ministries are always learning. But what? Never coming to the truth. This is our Bible. If you know who I'm talking about. Slick, smooth words, always learning, but never coming to the truth. But give so I can have everything. The other mark of their life and deception that reveals who they really are is their love of immorality. This doesn't mean that every false teacher has all these, but they will be marked by some level of, of a love of money or, or love of immorality. And Peter gives the most scathing description of false teachers in his second epistle. We, we already kind of looked here. He likens them to the unrighteousness of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says that they indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. He goes on and says they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, hearts trained in greed. Forsaking what is right, they have gone astray. For speaking loud boasts of follies, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. In other words, they pry on those who, who have no compass. They have no sense. They don't know the scriptures. They pry on them. That's how they fill up auditoriums. We're coming to town and we'll bring on a healing for you. Just give us your money. And that's why they're in the third world countries. Pretty dominant. Just keeping them in their error and taking everything that they have. I love this line, not because it's 
encouraging word because it sums up the truth. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Right now, one of the biggest threats, I think, to our circles is, is, is what's being dubbed as progressive Christianity, progressive evangelicals. We hold to the confessions of the faith. We believe in the triune God. We uphold the right doctrines. In fact, they may know them better than you. But they're also advocating for sexual freedom and calling the question the biblical sexual ethic and the nature of sexuality altogether. And anyone who, who does not hold to that, you're actually going against Jesus' teachings to love your neighbor as yourself. They twist the scriptures. And this is particularly true for, for uh, my generation and down. There's an authenticity to the faith. Uh, going back, I think some good things, uh, going back to having a high view uh, of the worship service and moving beyond superficiality. But what you see is a promise to the world you can have your sexual freedom. And what Peter says is so true, not in realizing that they themselves are slaves of corruption. And so for this reason, we want to avoid them. Avoid the false teaching. Don't read their books. Don't sing their songs. Because their doom is sure. Come back to Romans 16, 20, and this is where we'll bring this to a close. Paul gives us a word of hope as we seek to avoid the dangers of false teachers, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's interesting, the God of Satan, I mean the God, God of peace is coming to crush. But that's our hope. He's going to defeat our ancient foe. He's gonna do it under your feet. What, what's he talking about here? Paul is reminding us of the promise that God made to Adam and Eve all the way back in Genesis 3.15, that a child will come and he will crush the head of the serpent. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have turned from your sins and you have trusted in him, you have placed your faith in him and his atoning work and sacrifice for your sins, you have been united to him in his life and his victory will be yours. And so when he returns in glory and he judges sin and he executes justice, he will crush Satan and all his servants. Destruction is coming their way. But for us who believe, that day will be a great day of hope and peace. No more enemies, no more deception, no more wolves in sheep's clothing. Let's come back to what Peter says here. But false prophets also arose among the people, 1 Peter 2, 1. Just as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in, notice, destructive heresies. What they teach destroys people's lives now and for eternity, including their own. They deny the master who bought them. Now, they're not explicitly saying we deny Christ, but Peter's saying, in effect, they have denied Christ, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And then that last line, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. In other words... They are storing up wrath for the day of wrath. 
and you don't want to be caught up in that wave. Or as Paul says to the Corinthians, their end will correspond with their deeds. Let me give you a real life example of what's going on here that your pastors are aware of. We became aware of a couple who's been influenced by false teaching in this area. Uh, this couple is not married, but they have conceived out of wedlock, and the church told them, the church leaders told them, you must abort this child. And the reason what they tell them is that you must abort this child because this child being born out of wedlock is going to be cursed by God and will certainly go through the great tribulation which is coming upon the earth. And by God's grace, this child was born this week. And those who have been aware have been praying, and, and we want to continue to pray that, that seeing the love and care that has come alongside, particularly the mother, that she would come to see the fruit of righteousness and come to Christ. But you can see that these things, all under the cloak of, of the scriptures say, but how do you recognize them? Or up to the same work that the father was up to. He's a liar and a thief and a destroyer. You'll never hear Christ say, murder that child. You'll never hear Christ say, avenge their blood. You'll never hear that. Go, go live and give your heart fully to your desires. You'll never hear Christ say that. That's how you can discern. And so church family, false teaching is not harmless. It's the lie of the evil one, and it brings swift destruction. However, for those in Christ, our Lord knows how to deliver us from their destruction and how to keep us. And so, brothers and sisters, I want us to be wise to what is good, innocent to what is evil. And we do so just as Jude exhorts us to build ourselves up in the holy faith, the faith once for all delivered to the saints delivered from the apostles, being handed down from generation to generation. We're not coming up with anything new. Hold fast to that faith, praying fervently in the Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God. And as you seek Christ, know this, brothers and sisters, that our Lord Jesus Christ is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless in His sight when He comes. And we will see Him for as He is in glory because we will be glorified with him. That lets us go to the Lord in prayer.